I'm Julie. And I'm Lisa. And together we are Two Sober Chicks. That's right. Two young, hot, sassy sober chicks. Young. Okay. <laughs> well, this is an honest program. Listen, <laughs> if we were around seniors, we would be young. It's That's all true. relative. Yes. My wife works at a senior center and uh, she gets hit on all the time. I bet. Yeah, by 80 year old men. <laughs> I've heard that like the sex scene in seniors' homes is a pretty <laughs> rampant oh, really? sexual oh, <laughs> revolution going on. Yeah, they actually have sexual health experts that go in to seniors' homes and talk about like STDs and safe sex and oh, wow. boundaries and boundaries is something they need to work on. <laughs> I'm gonna be such a loose senior. I know it. <laughs> I'll be in that home and I'll just be like, leave the door open. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Put a next sign up on the door. Flip yep. it over. Next. Yeah. You'll have in. like a, a counter like McDonald's. Over mm-hmm. one billion served. Loose, hoary senior. <laughs> oh my God. This is going downhill fast. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to uh, send us an email, if you have some topic suggestions, although we have a bunch of great topics lined up uh, for the year ahead, but we always love your suggestions and we like to change things up. And we do also like to be of service and be helpful. So yeah. if you're struggling with something, um, if you have a situation or a question you're unsure of, um, we'd love to talk about sponsorship. We really encourage you to get a sponsor. Um, but if do. you don't have one, we can be your temporary step-ins until you find somebody who you can speak to. Yeah. Um, so you can email us at the number two sober chicks at gmail.com. Yep. Well, I finished telling my story in the previous podcast per listener request. Mm-hmm. And now you're up. That's right. So I'm just going to get right into it as if we were at a meeting. Once we go up at the beginning, we talk about our experience, strength, and hope. So I'd go up to the front and I'd be like, hey, everybody, my name's Lisa and I am a grateful alcoholic. Hi, Lisa. Thank you. That's very authentic. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel right at home. Um, And I used to hate it when people would um, define themselves as a grateful alcoholic, usually because I was sitting in the back row and I was disgruntled and I was not a grateful alcoholic. Um, Yeah, I was like, you fucking liar. I was a hateful alcoholic. (laughs) And I thought, what's there to be grateful for? But the gratitude comes from the fact that without this disease of addiction, we never would have been led to this place, Mm -hmm. this place of making higher choices, this place of self-discovery, of introspection, of reflection, of learning about ourselves. You know, there's a part in the 12 and 12 where it says, who wants to be rigorous, honestly, Mm -hmm. honest, rigorously honest. Fuck right. Like who does? Nobody does. Mm -hmm. Um, We did it because we had to. It was one of those things that helped save our lives. So that's why I'm grateful today. Um, but I certainly wasn't grateful when I first came in. And um, this takes me a while to think about, to think um, far back because I came into the program in about, uh, it was November 2005. Um, my marriage at the time was terrible. Um, we had been together for about, I don't know, eight years at that time six, seven years at that time, things were falling apart. Um, uh, of course I was not in the place to take any responsibility. I was constantly blaming my partner. Um, I was very immature. I was living in denial, never thinking that anything was my fault. Um, and I remember, um, cheating on her several times. Uh, she found out, I confessed, um, she kicked me out. Um, and my big piss off point was it's my house. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I leaving? But of course I left. 
I left because I knew I'd done, you know, I'd done horrible things and it was that shame. So I left, uh, probably trying to be the bigger person, but still failing at that. So I started to, I turned to a friend and his name was Roy. And uh, I had known that he was in AA, which I knew nothing about other than the fact that it made me think that he was like the greatest person in the world because he was so selfless Mm -hmm. and so kind. uh, And he always had time for people. He worked for a wonderful organization um, called Head Start, which helped uh, ex-felons get back on their feet. Um, Later, I would find out that he was also an ex-con and I'd not known that about him. Um, He had been 20 years sober. Uh, and so I turned to him and I, I said, so what's this AA thing all about? You know, Lisa thinks I have a problem. My ex name was also Lisa, (laughs) Lisa and Lisa. Um, and he said, uh, I was wondering when you'd, when you'd reach Mm -hmm. out to me. And I was horrified (laughs) at that. What? (laughs) I couldn't believe it that he (laughs) was like, I was, you be honest with me about what you see. (laughs) And it's no surprise, right? Because I was a raging alcoholic by this point. Uh, I was working in radio broadcasting. Most of the time I was probably doing shows hungover, if not still drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd go to work uh, because I knew that if I went home and went to sleep, I wouldn't make it to work. So, you know, when they talk about, did you lose jobs? I was like, no. You know, did you get in trouble? No, I showed up for work. I showed up for work, but I was either still drunk or I was vomiting. Mm-hmm. I can remember coming on the air and um, like doing the weather and da 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 and good morning, it's Ernie and Lisa. And here's today's forecast, blah, 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 blah. Here's whatever song we're gonna introduce now. And then I'd shut the mic off and go <laughs> And I'd be vomiting into a basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My poor co-host. <laughs> or I'd get up and I'd be like, throw on uh, in a gata de vida. You know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom so I could be sick. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a 14 minute song. So it's a very long song. Um, just horrible. I put other people through so much. Anyway, um, so that's a, a good example of show you, shows you where my alcoholism definitely took me. Um, I started drinking at a young age. I started drinking in high school. Um, I can't remember an exact date or time, but I do remember I just met with an old friend of mine. Her name's Kira, and we got together to talk about you know the high school days. And she showed me a video from our high school prom. Oh no! And it. It, it brought up this kind of sadness in me because there I was mm-hmm. looking at this younger self of mine who seemed to look like she had it all together. Um, you know, I was with a great group of friends. I was young. I was pretty, good looking, uh, and I was wasted. Right from the beginning of the video, I'm wasted. And then I'm seeing the timestamp on the video, mm-hmm. and it's like 5.30 in the morning, and I'm going around with a video camera waking people up, and I am still hammered, and I haven't stopped drinking. And I remember going to a brunch later on that day. Like, I think I stayed up for 24 hours. So at, I'm, I guess I'm 18 years of age at that time. And I'm still, I'm drinking like heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and joking, making jokes about um, being an alcoholic. But they were just jokes. You know, I didn't, like you, I had that idea that an alcoholic was an older person, homeless, in a trench coat with a brown bag. So I was, didn't think I was really alcoholic. And I would often say that after these nights of debauchery, I was definitely a binge drinker because I still went to school. But, you know, Friday to Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be out drinking with my friends. Um, Kira and I talked about how back then, I don't know how we got these jobs, but we both ended up working at bars um, at a young age. Like she got in first and then we had my 
so-called 19th birthday when I was 17 at the bar that she worked at. And then the boss just assumed that I was 19 and I got a job there too. So I was working and serving alcohol at 17 years of age. Wow. So yeah, it started at a, at a young age. Um, you talked about how you remember being, uh, you think that you were an alcoholic from birth. And I totally get that feeling as well. That feeling uh, for me, I describe it as um, always wanting to fit in, always wanting to, um, uh, a need for love, a need for acceptance, and a need to be liked. I came from a, a large family of seven, two parents and uh, four other siblings. Um, very busy household. Uh, a huge age difference between me and the next sibling. I was a, what I would call God's gift, uh, what they would call a mistake. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> An eight-year, you know, mis- whoops. <laughs> I guess they forgot the condom that night and out came Lisa nine months later. So uh, then, of course, my dad always said, well, you were truly a gift. It was mm-hmm. my mother who said that it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. But I think she thought that about all the children. So um, my mother... Uh, Actually, she's changed a lot today. I think she's starting to grow at 85 years of age. But for most of my life, she was not the warmest human being. Um, And she seemed to be always stressed out. I don't know. She's never been diagnosed with mental health issues. But the joke in our family is she does have a narcissistic personality. And when I've read books on it, it's like she's the center of the world. My father revolves around her. And the children are like these, you know planets way out off in the distance Mm -hmm. in the solar system and um, he's basically managing my mother his whole life that's what he's been doing so we were kind of off to fend for ourselves from a very young age Um, my mom was also the type of person who didn't drink like she wasn't a drinker like she wasn't drunk when I got home but when you'd get home after school she'd be like oh it's that time already or (laughs) or if you walked in and didn't take your boots off right away she'd lose her shit right Mm -hmm. so we didn't have the easiest childhood. <clears throat> I have a cold, sorry, and my ear just popped. So that's why I'm hemming a lot. The sound just changed in here for me. Um, so yeah, this need to be liked, this need to be loved. Um, I also talk about, um, I have a childhood uh, trauma, sexual trauma uh, in my story, but I don't go into details about it. Um, that part's not important, but the reason I mention it is because when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, the chip on my shoulder was so huge, I could barely stand up. And the thinking was, if you had um, my experience, if you had had what happened to me happen to you, you'd drink too. And you'd never be able to not drink and be able to cope with life. Mm-hmm. I really fully believe that. So it was important for me to hear other people share their experience about death, about uh, sexual assault, um, childhood molestation, so that I could go, oh, wait, they've had that happen to them and they're sober? How does that happen? Um, so that's why I mention it, so that you know that you can get over it too. Um, so yeah, I started drinking at a young age. Uh, it carried on through um, college Um, I would see evidence looking back of how it deeply affected my relationships in high school, my familial relationships, um, never taking responsibility or accountability for anything and always drinking excessively whenever I had a problem. So um, when I came into this program, that's how I was able to uh, identify the unmanageability of my life that things were definitely unmanageable and out of control. And the only way I knew how to deal with those things was basically to not deal with them, to drink. And there was a lot of poor me, poor me another drink, Mm -hmm. self-pity, I'm just going to drink over it. And my favorite gifts were like bottles of scotch. Not that I was some great connoisseur. It did make me feel a little bit fancy Mm -hmm. when I'd get like a special bottle of scotch. 
But really, I chose my liquor based on not the taste or the flavor, because I really didn't like the taste. I chose it on the alcohol content. Mm-hmm. The higher, and I, I, looking back, I realized these things. Like the beer I drank, if it, I tried to get beer that was eight percent. I think there was this beer <laughs> called Triple X, and it's shit. It's the worst tasting beer on the planet, but it had eight percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then drinking things like Jägermeister or tequila. <sighs> Things that gave me the worst stomach pain and always, you know, um, horrific hangovers. Um, I can also talk about times that I uh, never went to detox, but I had to self-detox a lot of times because I was a heavy binge drinker. And I'd end up going to the hospital on like the second day of vomiting, continual vomiting. Mm -hmm. I still can't stop vomiting. I'm dry heaving. There's nothing left. I can't eat anything. I'm throwing up bile and blood. And then I go to the hospital and by this time, there's not really alcohol in my body anymore. So I'm just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sick. Wow. <laughs> so then they give me Demerol. So now this is awesome because now I've discovered the solution to my problem. <laughs> when I drink too much, I just go to the hospital and get drugs and, and they lie. give me Demerol mm-hmm. and I lie. Um, no signs of uh, unmanageability there. So really, it was getting to this point where finally, uh, years of troubled relationships Um, that my ex had kicked me out. And I came to AA not to save myself, but to save my relationship. Because in this relationship, um, she had had a child from a previous marriage, and I had had what I thought uh, I wanted. I thought I had everything I'd ever wanted. So why was my life still shitty? Why was I still unhappy? Why was I still depressed all the time? I had the wife. I had a child. I had a great career in radio. We had a house. We had a cottage. We had two cars, Mm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. but yet... I just was never happy. I always say I had the disease of more. Nothing was ever good enough. I was never good enough, and no one else could ever live up to my expectations either. Like, I'd get this, I usually went after women too who were unattainable to me, Mm -hmm. and then when I would attain them, then I would get bored. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of, you know, stuff that needed to be looked at in my inventory. Um, So when I finally came into Alcoholics Anonymous, it was about 2005, Um, And here's the thing about relapse. Um, I stayed in for two years, two and a half years, and I white knuckled it the whole fucking time. Um, I didn't do what was suggested of me. Um, I still tried to do everything my way. I didn't like hearing about ego. Of course not. The ego doesn't like hearing about itself in a negative way. Mm. So um, yeah, I stayed dry. And being dry is a miserable place to be. Uh And there's a huge difference between drying out and getting sober and living a clean, unsedated life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to go back out and experiment. Just like Julie, I thought, well, I've been sober for a little bit. Nothing's better. My relationship eventually ended. My partner and I broke up anyway. So I lost my, we'd moved. I'd lost my job, my house, my cottage, my kid, my wife. Um, And I was like, fuck this AA. AA didn't, where are those fucking promises? None of those fucking promises came true for me. So I quit. I thought the program quit on me. I'm quitting on the program. Mm. And I think this is why uh, anonymity is so important, especially in the beginning, because um, I went around telling everyone I was an AA. And then I went around telling everyone it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I tried really hard to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic by controlling my drinking. So much so that I would leave my credit cards at home and I'd just take $20 to the bar. And I did that for months. I think it was about six months. And then finally, when I took my credit card and all my money to the bar, I'd get annihilated and I wouldn't, I'd black out. I wouldn't remember the night. 
uh, it was a near-death experience uh, with my head and a, and, a, and a subway train track, <laughs> which uh, led me back to the program. I almost died laying next to the subway train. Some angel picked me up and took me home. Couldn't see because I'd lost my vision. I, I drank so much that I lost my sight that night. Um, I went back to AA. I got new sponsors. Um, and then that sponsor uh, got sick. And uh, him and his wife were an integral part of my re-recovery program. Um, and he died. And I couldn't handle death. That was one of those things still that I hadn't learned how to live with, life on life's terms. Um, so when he passed away, again, I was devastated, didn't know how to deal with all these feelings. Um, and that was a big part of my problem. That's why I drank. I had mm -hmm. all these feelings. I didn't know how to deal with them. And uh, he had said to me, if you drink again, I'll come back and fucking haunt you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm an alcoholic. I know this now. I've done my experimentation. So I turned to drugs. And here's the thing. I never would have had to relapse either time if I had only listened mm -hmm. <laughs> and followed the steps and listened to my sponsors and let go of ego and done the things that I had been taught. But I was too um, headstrong and stubborn and thought that I knew better. So I did it my way. So my way involved drugs for about a year. Um, it involved an attempted suicide. Um, I was led to this place of complete isolation and darkness. And I was getting to that point where I might as well drink or kill myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I eventually, I did call uh, at my old temporary sponsor. And I asked him if he would consider sponsoring me again. And I said, you know why you were... You were wondering why things aren't working for me. Well, I wasn't actually doing everything you were suggesting. I was lying to you. I stopped going to AA meetings. I pulled away and I've been doing drugs for the last year. And he's like, oh, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. I think I started to make him doubt the program himself. <laughs> um, and he it basically, he was tough on me. And he said, what's going to be fucking different this time? Mm -hmm. Like, why should I waste my time with you? And I get that mm -hmm. now. Because he's giving of himself. He's giving freely of his time. And I was just fucking messing with him and taking up his time I called him just because I wanted somebody to listen to my bullshit because I'd ran through all my other people nobody wanted to listen anymore and he was like yeah uh, read page 60 to 66 <laughs> like what I've got a real problem here read page 60 to 66 where it talks about the actor trying to control mm -hmm. the show and that would start to resonate with me so he said are you willing to go to any lengths and are you willing to do what I fucking tell you to do this time and I was broken enough to say yes. And that's when things changed for me. So that was over six years ago. Um, my date of recovery, uh, clean from all substances, is January 1st, uh, 2014. So I am also six years uh, clean and sober and living in an unsedated reality. Awesome. And things have been immensely different for me um, because I now have a higher power. I have a dependency on something greater not a dependency on substances, which is something lesser than I am. Mm -hmm. Something that just fills up the void temporarily, but then evaporates. You know, that's not, a, that's not a solution that's going to last. It was a solution for a while, but it stopped working for me. Mm -hmm. But this new solution that I have is about, you know, following a few simple steps. It's called the Program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. I have a sponsor because my thinking is still crazy. Like that ego still tries to hijack my brain and tell me that I can do things differently. Yeah. I can do things better. Um, and it's amazing. I, I love that. Um, I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think very highly of myself, but I'm all I can think about mm -hmm. that kind of thinking. So I need to have a sponsor to check my thinking with. And it could be something as small as uh, maybe just a, a little spat that I have with my wife and I need to check my thinking. 
um, or some idea that I have of grandiosity. I need to check my thinking. Um, gone are the days for me anyway at this moment in time where, uh, and then I did this at first too, like I really want to have a drink or I really want to have a drug. That's when you really need to check your thinking with your sponsor. Yeah. And they're going to say, well, why don't you try this instead? Can you hold on for the next hour? Hmm. Maybe you can meet somebody for a cup of coffee. Those are the things that interrupt my crazy thinking. So those are the things that have helped me today. Um, and getting involved in service, doing this podcast for us yeah. is an act of service. Mm-hmm. You know, we do this because we want to share the message. This for me is the responsibility. Uh, what do you call it? Declaration? Yes, it's been changed from the responsibility pledge to the responsibility declaration. And it is, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible, mm-hmm. simply. When anyone uh, anywhere reaches out for it. help, I want the hand of AA always to be there for that I am responsible there you go she did the full version (laughs) um and and so I am responsible for that so Mm -hmm. that means going to meetings that means reaching out to a newcomer or if I see an old timer struggling reaching out offering offering help um you know there are a lot of people too in the program that have been around for a long time but it doesn't mean that they still don't have you know the ego the ego comes back um and that's how I keep my ego in check is by being uh in the center of AA so we always joke too about how whenever we talk, it's not scripted. So our stories are completely different. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I gave you a good uh, sort of summary. You did. Of my story, but that's my story in a nutshell about how it happened to me and what I did to get here. Um, making that decision to turn my, my will, my ego, and my life over to something greater has changed it. Um, if you have trouble with the God thing, I know I did when I first came in a real mm-hmm. big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to look at it as just a word and, um, you know, it's all about action. This is a program of action. And one of the things that helped me was how's my way working for me. <laughs> if I continue to do things my way, I'm going to continue to get fucked up and be broken, but yeah. I can let go. You know, the saying, let go and let God is one of my favorite ones. But then I have people say to me, well, what does that mean to let God? It simply means yeah. that I stop trying to run the fucking show. Yeah. I can control, I love the serenity prayer. I can control certain things like getting out of bed, brushing my teeth, going to work, making mm-hmm. sure that I leave early. Um, leaving early has changed my life. I very rarely, I still have it because I'm human. I very rarely have road rage. I used to have road rage yeah, every time I got behind the fucking wheel. Yeah, me too. And now one of the things that changed that was I always leave 15 minutes early because then I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a hurry. I can leave that space. And Mm -hmm. when you fill it up because you're more important than me and you need to get ahead of me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't fucking lose my shit anymore because it's not going to make me late. Those little things, you know, I'm getting sidetracked now, but. I love how you like, I'm um, a visual person. And so in my head, what I hear in your story is that you went from being very rigid and hard with like edges to being pliable and soft and mushy and able to be formed by God's will for your life. And I love how you said the ego does not like it being talked about in negative terms because that's what this whole program is about. It's shining the light on our ego because our ego is what's like, I don't like that person. I don't like how I'm feeling. The ego wants to protect itself Mm -hmm. and often manifests as fear. So it motivates us to do what it wants us to do. And so all, you know, most of our steps have God in them. More Mm -hmm. of them do than not. And they're about 
less ego, more higher power. Yep. And so that's a pretty cool sort of journey from you from who you were back then to who you are now, which is vastly different. Like you are who you always were in your spirit. Mm -hmm. You're just more refined and your hard edges have been softened. And then it's like one of my mentors used to say, be water, not rock. Mm. Like you've become water and you can move and shift. Go with the flow. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're in a waterfall and we just go way over the edge and we can't do anything. But most of the time, trying to go against the flow never works. Here's an example of ego for me today um, and how it can manifest. And it, it was rooted in fear. So I have a new job coming up mm-hmm. and, um, and there's going to be training and there's going to be school and I haven't been in school for a very long time. Um, so um, I was asking my wife about, she's been sick with a cold. We've both been sick with a cold. She's getting it later now. So dishes hadn't been done the other day. So I came home after working and then I did dishes. And then she was asking me to do some things for her, like, you know, make a cup of tea or get her some Sudafed. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why? Why? Because my ego is, you should do this for me. Why am I doing this for you? What about me? What about me? That's what my ego says all the time. What about me? Where's mine? It is a very self-centered thing, the ego. And um, so I started to get in a little bit of a fit last night. And it was like, I'm under so much pressure and I'm going to be under more pressure. And are you going to step up? And what are you going to do for me? And I'm re- maybe we're, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't take mm. the job. And I'm just freaking out. And she's just looking at me like, oh, what's going on here? Is this, there's something up. And then she said to me, are you afraid? And I started to cry. Aww. And then she's like, come here. I like this Lisa. I don't like ragey Lisa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like scared Lisa. Scared Lisa I can work with. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and we hugged and I cried and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm afraid. So then I just talked honestly and openly with another human being, Mm -hmm. which should have been my sponsor first, but I fucked up Mm -hmm. and it ended up being my wife. I always say, you know, we can't be each other's sponsors, but we were just having a, a loving conversation and I'm like, yep. This is it. This is the problem. I am thinking about fear. I'm living in the future and I'm already thinking, what if? Yeah. What if I fail? What if I don't succeed? What if we have to, you know, go back to the way we were before? Well, so what? And that's what she said. So what? Is it so bad? No, it's not. We have a really great life today. Yeah. We'll deal with it then. Yeah. And it might not even happen. So what the fuck? That's me. That's my ego getting in my head you know, getting ahead of things as I often tend to do. So this is why it's so important to stay in the program. It is um, constant, you know, we always have to keep doing these things and not like constant, like, oh God, the work is never over. It's actually, I love it. You know, I'm trying more to get up in the morning and um, do readings and they help me. Mm-hmm. They help start my day. They help set the tone for my day because they remind me about, oh, yeah, right. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I need to be mindful of these things before I go out into the world. Yeah. Let's put my armor on. There was a woman at our home group um, who I love who spoke the other day when she did the slogans. And she said uh, the big change in her life was her sponsor taught her, whatever you've been doing up until now in the morning, don't do that. So she would get up 
make her coffee, go on the internet, get outraged, mm. respond, snap back, clap back at people, things, places, stuff going on in the world. Yeah. And the sponsor said, you get up, you literally roll out of bed onto your knees, you thank God for keeping you sober yesterday, you ask him for the strength to be sober today, then you do your readings, then you get up and go do what you need to do. And I realized that this morning. I used to have this routine where I would not be on my phone from 9 o'clock at night until noon the next day. Mm-hmm. And this morning, I jumped right into like texting people, checking my Instagram, doing this, doing that. And I had so much anxiety because the morning sets the tone for the rest of my day. And I need to like get up, read something, make my tea, you know, like go into my day. Um, And so I think it's all about rearranging your life because Mm -hmm. when I do that, my days are like an A plus. Right. When I do it the old way, I can't believe how stressed out I am at the end of the night and all I want to do is eat garbage and binge watch shows, which then sets me up for a bad sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I had two Cadbury cream eggs last night (laughs) in bed while I finished watching The Outsiders. Guess who didn't sleep so well? (laughs) Yeah, it, it is was a, fun, and I can do it every once in every a while, once but that while. cannot be my lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I stress yeah. I stress ate last night, too, for the first time since December. I almost had three Cadbury cream eggs, but I was like, that's a little out of control. Wow. They're yeah. so good. <laughs> if anybody wants to send me Cadbury cream eggs, please do so. Oh, by the way, we have these new business cards. Yay. If anybody wants one, I'm going to post them on our um, Instagram account, Two Sober Chicks. If you want a handful of these, just send me an email, twosoberchicks at gmail.com. I'd love to mail you a handful so you can have them as like a bookmark because they have the serenity prayer on the back mm-hmm. or to give to someone or Sponsies. whatever. Yep. You're more than welcome. I will send them wherever you live. Share the message. Yes. Well, thanks a lot for listening to um, our stories. Thank you for telling your story. Yeah, it was I always really enjoy your story. Convoluted, but <laughs> I felt like that when I said mine last yeah. podcast. I'm like, okay, well, that's a new version. Yes, I was very hyper. I didn't find you hyper. Uh, I've had two cups of coffee today, so I'm like, wee. All right. Okay. Well, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again on the next uh, podcast. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And this has been Two Silver Chicks. <laughs>